City University Television presents the American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the theatre. This seminar, playwright, director, choreographer. A warm welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars now in their 25th year and coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. These seminars offer a rare opportunity to explore with the panelists the realities of working in the theater. Today's seminar is devoted to playwrights, directors, and choreographers. We will learn something about how they became professionals, their work ethic, and their reasons for being in the theater. We hope that you will enjoy and learn from today's experience. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairwoman of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing. And now, let me introduce our moderators for this seminar. First, a distinguished member of the theatrical community, Pia Lindstrom, who is a director, a author, and a critic. And George White, who is Director, are you CEO or are you chairman of the board? George yeah. White, chairman of the board of the Eugene O'Neill Foundation and a member of the advisory of board of the American Theatre Wing. George, would you please start the whole bit right now and go through the, everything that we have to know. Thank you, Isabel. Uh, on my uh, far right um, is... Uh, a playwright, director, choreographer, also contains lanolin, uh, 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 Chris Durang, who was last uh, represented on Broadway with his play Sex and Longing with uh, Sigourney Reaver, and uh, is uh, coming in with a new play uh, shortly uh, off-Broadway with the intriguing title of Betty's Summer Vacation, which has a lot of resonance. <laughs> To my immediate right is the Tony Award-winning uh, director of the Beauty Queen of Linan, I found that it was called today, <laughs> Gary Hines. Welcome. Thank you. And on my left, I have a, a dual personality right here. This is Michael Chapika. He is both a lawyer and a playwright. He's represented now on Broadway with Getting and Spending. It's his first Broadway play, not his first play, but his first play on Broadway. Next <laughs> to him is Graciela Danielli, who is the fabulous choreographer. She has done Ragtime, of course, we know about that. She's now preparing Annie Get Your Gun. She is a nine-time Tony nominee, a six-time Drama Desk nominee. She won the Fosse Award, and she's about to get the George Abbott Award. So she knows a lot. <laughs> and next to her, we have Joe Mantello. He knows a lot, too, about acting and directing. Um, Corpus Christi is the play he's just directed, which was a very exciting experience, I'm sure he's going to tell us about. He directed Love, Valor, and Compassion. He's, as an actor, he was in Angels uh, in America, and he got a Tony nomination for that. He is no stranger to controversy. So, <laughs> with that, Joe, what does all the protests <clears throat> that surrounds a play that might be happening out in the street due to the creative process inside the theater? Uh, well, we tried very hard uh, 
while working on this play to keep our focus on the play itself and to not respond in any way to the controversy since uh, I think we had very little to do with uh, the creation of it. It's very difficult, you know. Uh, this thing sort of blew up in the middle of uh, our working on this play together and Terence McNally and I sat down and said, okay, the play needs work. We have to cut. We have to, there's got to be, there's rewrites. We're still shaping it. Let's make a promise to each other that we will not answer any of the criticism or answer any of the controversy while we're working on the play. We will try to make the play the best play that it can possibly be. And that's our only obligation. Uh, I don't know. It's sort of a no-win situation. And I think that we did a, our best to sort of block it out. Manhattan Theatre Club was really supportive. They kept us. It was actually a fairly uh, uh, normal rehearsal process other than the bomb dogs. Um, <laughs> the metal detector. The metal, that you have to go that was later, to that was later, yeah. Uh, so, I'm not, uh, in this instance, it was uh, fairly unremarkable in terms of the rehearsal process. Uh, I'm, I don't know that I would ever want to go through it again, but... Uh, <clears throat> it was something to me obscene, really obscene, about walking into a theater going through a metal detector. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I, I've been in rehearsal or previews now for about six weeks, and I have not slept in about six weeks. And I can't imagine adding to that the, the, the stress and the strain of, of metal detectors and dogs. I just, I, I, I am barely coping <laughs> with a very uncontroversial play, except maybe till the reviews come out. Very uncontroversial, and, and it's taking all I can do to deal with it. And I can't imagine uh, adding that on top of it. it, it it's just mind-boggling to me. What, what is your play about, other than about two hours? I mean, about <laughs> two hours. Um, well, uh, I, I never know how to answer that question, whether to tell the story or, or what I've finally found out after six years of working on it. I, I could say a couple of things is that, that life has to be about more than getting and spending, or that if you uh, believe in God or love somebody, you have to do things you don't want to do. And uh, that's what I'm, I'm coming to understand after six years of grappling with this material. It, the, the story is, is very simple. It's a woman investment banker who has uh, made $18 million in insider trading and has given all the money away to the poor to build housing for the homeless. She gets caught and is about to go on trial. She wants to get the best defense trial lawyer of her day, uh, a man who has been fed up with it all, with, with the with life out here and has retired to live in a monastery. And she goes down, seeks him out, finds him, and drags him out to defend her. And uh, the story is about the two of them and how they deal with each other, with the situations they find themselves in, with the courts, with the law, with what's right, and, and with each other. Are you in this? Did you base it on yourself? Well, the first day of rehearsal, was, the play was done at the Old Globe in San Diego, and we met in a rehearsal hall, and everyone you know, went around the table, made introductions, and actor said, I'm so-and-so, I play this part, and we went through all the seven parts, and then I introduced myself and said, I'm Michael Chupiga, I think I'm all of you. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there's something of me and something of everybody I've ever met in every in, in character in the play, but, but there's no specific event or, or no real case or anything. It's all 
just the product of an aberrant imagination. Graziella, coming from Argentina, did you have a problem as being a, did you, were you a dancer first and then worked into choreography? How did you make your mark to, because that's also a fairly, it's the equivalent, you know, as a director, be a choreographer mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a, a, a culture like Argentina. Yes. Well, I left Argentina, as I said, we, we ran away from Argentina uh, <laughs> when, when I was very young. I was about 15, 16 years old. And I went, I didn't come here directly, I went to Europe. I was a ballerina then, I was working mostly in ballet companies. And it was not until, uh, I think it was 1961 or 62, I was living in Paris and working in Paris, and I saw West Side Story. And that, you know, like, and I'm not the only one. It's changed the lives of so many people, so many people. I saw that, and I thought, I have to go to New York and learn how to do that. I mean, there was something so extraordinary, complete about it, which I did. And I just came here actually to study. I just, you know, got a little money, and I came just to study. How did you learn? Where did you, who did you learn from when you came to New York? Uh, I, I, went, I went to study, and I went to Matt Maddox, who was a jazz teacher, uh, the perfect descendant of Jack Cole. So I learned the real thing, you know. <laughs> and I went, of course, to Martha Graham, and I went to Ballet Theatre. But I, it didn't last too long. Within a, a month of being here, Matt Maddox was choreographing a Broadway show called What Makes Some Iran uh, by Bud Schulberg. And, uh, and he offered me, there was a part for a, a speaking, a Spanish-speaking lady, and she had to be a dancer and blah, blah. So that's how I got on Broadway. It was just an accident and a marvelous accident. I mean, within a month, you know, it's amazing, amazing. And so that I started, I really started from, you know, being the chorus girl, learning uh, my material very slowly, and then I was extremely lucky that Michael Bennett chose me as, um, as assistant to him. And that's mm -hmm. when the creative mm -hmm. side started. I did not know that I had it. I had no idea that, that I could be a choreographer. I still don't know that I <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an accident. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> I tremble every time I start something. Um, that they're going to find me out. <laughs> so that was the, it was a natural progression. And you know, learning from a genius like, like Bennett, and then I worked with Bob Fosse. And again, that you know, I learned so much from him. And then uh, they actually pushed me into into choreography. And then from then, you know, I started directing. So, it, you know, it, it's interesting. I always felt like I was kind of a, a person that is at home. Somebody knocks at the door. They open and say, you want to come out and play? And I go, yeah, OK. <laughs> I have no idea why I'm doing it. But it's like, it's, it's fun. You know, it's something new that I have to learn, you know, like, uh, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm directing and choreographing a revival, Vani, Get Your Gun. It's the first time that I am doing a revival. I'm scared because, you know, mm. I, I don't know if I can do it because I want to bring something new into it. But that's what is exciting about, you know, the theater. <laughs> Michael, this is your first play. And yes. When did you first meet your director? Well, I, I, I'm just learning my first mistake was to let him read the script. <laughs> <laughs> because he's been, he's been making me rewrite it ever since. So I, that was my first mistake. Um, well, track your, in a sense, your career. How did you get going and all this? Well, the, um, uh, my first... Introduction to professional theater was the uh, was through you, George, at the uh, O'Neill Playwrights Conference. That was not a setup. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 but it was earlier. In fact, in fact, I was a playwright at, at uh, the O'Neill National Playwrights Conference in uh, 1978 and again in 1980. 
and uh, saw how hard it was to be a playwright, and uh, then went to law school afterwards. Uh, <laughs> took some time. I had always written. I'd written in high school and, and in college and throughout law school. Uh, I left law school and started <coughs> working at a large firm. Uh, had two children, and between the job and the children, didn't have a lot of spare time. So uh, went for a few years without writing, and then uh, couldn't keep away from it. Uh, the, the idea, particularly the idea for getting and spending, kept forcing itself on me, and the only way to get rid of it was to sit down and write it. So I did. And um, I met uh, my director, John Tillinger, through uh, Marty Markinson, my producer. He found, Marty found the script, uh, contacted me, uh, we talked on and off about it for a year or two while I was rewriting it and rewriting so it, it and rewriting it. Several years before it actually came that you had met the... Uh, I met, met Marty in 1995, mm -hmm. and he uh, read the script, talked, uh, you know, we, we talked about it for a year or two. Sometime in 96, he gave it to John Tillinger, who responded to it. We met for lunch. Uh, we didn't spill anything on each other or, or uh, have any obvious problems. So it, I guess it was decided from that moment on that we would work together. And it's turned out to be a great blessing for me. He's a brilliant director and a, a, a play editor and, and dramaturg. We, uh, we worked on the script for a while, and then uh, it was arranged that it would be done at the Old Globe in San Diego this summer. Uh, we, we wanted to uh, try it out far away from New York, and, and were successful in finding <laughs> far away from New York. That was about as far as we could get. And uh, was, saw it there, and Marty said, we're going to do it in New York, and here we are. Did Joey get the, get the play to uh, the Old Globe, or did you, or did your agent? How did it get out there? Marty did, the producer, did, I think, it sent it to them. And, and uh, the story that I hear was that Jack O'Brien read it on the plane on the way back from directing The Little Foxes and said, when he landed, called and said, we'll do it. Is there any That's tension between the law firm and uh, your, your colleagues in the theater? The only tension is that in the theater, when I'm, when I'm in the theater, the people, the, the actors, the cast, all they want to talk about is law. They want to, and the economy, they want to ask me what's happening in the market. And, and, and then when I'm at work and with my clients, they only want to talk about the play. <laughs> so, so I feel a little schizophrenic. So, uh, but that's the only tension. Have there been many changes made in your words as uh, with the director feeling that it should go a different way or take a different, making a different feeling out of it? Yes. He, um, how do you react to that? I think the play is where it should be, and I luckily, luckily, I think we have the same vision for the mm -hmm. play. But he encouraged me to take it in a certain direction that I did not initially do myself. The play, I, I find it hard to describe, so I just call it a play. Uh, audiences laugh. It's a funny play, but it is not a comedy. And uh, he directed uh, or encouraged me to develop the not the comic side of it, but, but the, the more serious side of it, which I did. And I think that's the right choice, and I think it works. And I'm, uh, there are constant laughs that come in, even at very tense or dramatic moments, which I think to my, works well. So it's a, it's a, a combination of, of, it's been called a comedy, a courtroom drama, a morality play, a, a tragedy, a, every, every Is that film. part of the director's role? to look at the whole and, and say, but I think it should go this way into being more dramatic or less funny or more sad if we... 
I think I've ever said to anyone it should be less funny. <laughs> More jokes. Uh, no, I think some, it's a combination of pu putting yourself in the place of an, of an audience member and saying, I don't really understand what, can you tell me what you mean here mm -hmm. or what you're going mm -hmm. for here? And hear the playwright explain it and say, oh, well, I, I'm not getting that. Maybe, you know, I try not to make suggestions. I've been lucky to work with really terrific people who I feel are smart enough to solve the problems. I'm just there as a sort of a sounding board. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think it, you know, Terrence McNally is under no obligation to write the play that I think it should be. He has no obligation to write, you know, my journey towards spirituality. It's his play. It's my job to interpret that, I think. But you were an actor, so doesn't that influence the way you handle actors as a director? I guess so. Yeah, I think, I mean, hopefully, I think there are those who would disagree with me on this, but hopefully I'm, I'm, I have a sensitivity towards actors, having been there before. Um, um, Again, I think my job is to tell the story. Is the story being told clearly? Is the audience following where we are? You know, is it entertaining? Mm -hmm. I'm interested in directing comedians, and you, you're also a comedian yourself, of course, but I mean, you, have, you direct people who are funny on stage. And I was wondering, I, I get the impression that comedians come with their own style and their own reading. Is it more difficult to direct or difficult to direct them if they're funny to begin with? Oh, well, you know, I've only done a little bit of directing. Uh, I've done more acting than directing. Um, gee, I, I don't actually know the answer. You've been I, doing some dancing, too, I read. You even did appeared as a dancer briefly. Oh, well, well <laughs> I, I think I said I tried to dance it. I, I was in this I was very thrilled to be in this musical, putting it together, which actually was Julie Andrews' return to the stage, frankly, before Victor Victoria, like uh, two years before. And it was all Sondheim uh, songs, and I'm an enormous fan of Sondheim, and I was just thrilled out of my mind to uh, be in it. Because I first got a call saying, would I be the narrator? And I said, well, yes, I would, although do tell them that if I got to sing, I'd like that even better, because I like <laughs> to sing. And they said, oh, you do sing. And I said, oh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> mostly it was a standstill musical, except the first day, uh, it was Bob Avian uh, was the choreographer, and they gave us this one dance step. And I saw Julie Andrews, Rachel York, and Michael Rupert get it like that. Uh -huh. And Stephen Collins... <laughs> got it a little, and I got it not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I broke out into a whole thread, and it, I never really did get it well. Oh. It really I, I wish I were a better dancer, but not. <laughs> you ever have to choreograph for people like that? <laughs> yes, I'd love to. <laughs> well, actually, the one number, the one number, but Bob Avian was terribly sweet to me. There, I had a solo number, which was the song You Could Drive a Person Crazy, and with Sondheim's permission, I changed it to I could drive a person crazy, so it was about <laughs> my character. And Bob said, having seen that I wasn't good at copying st dance steps, he said, well, if you just were <laughs> hyper and moved in rhythm to the music, what would you do? <laughs> and so, and I remember that, because no one was in the room, and then they all had to come, and I had to sort of show it to them. And I just sort of, because I, well, anyway, I just did my best, and at one moment I remember sort of just flinging myself across the floor right up to Julie Andrews, who looked so startled. And anyway, so they, so they, so they let me make up that 
choreography. All we do is encourage them to physicalize, physicalize their character mm -hmm. through motion. Not worse, but just do it. How would that character move? And it's, it's, I, I find it absolutely wonderful because mm -hmm. each one has his own style or his own interpretation of the character. I, I love I loved that. The, that's what I loved about Ragtime, that yeah. opening number when everyone sort of broke off individually. And yeah. you could tell some of them were dancers and some of them were... I thought it was so thrilling. All, all I do is, you know, I, to me, everybody dances. Walking is dancing. Eating is dancing. Fighting is dancing. Making love is that Everything is dancing. So if, <coughs> if the actors seem to somehow be nervous that, you know, that they're, they're too, the language is the words. <laughs> But dance is another language to express the story, to tell the story and to express the character. So once they understand that, they liberate themselves. And I find that much more interesting choreography in general than whatever I can come up with, mm. if you understand what I'm saying. Because it it's, it's, like, it's, it's like life in the street. No two people walk the same. No two people mm -hmm. act the same. And that's what it, that is what excites <coughs> me. So, so you don't choreograph in your imagination at home a whole sequence and uh, well, imagine yeah. dancers doing it. Well, yes. It's, it's, I mean, uh, choreography for the musical theater is very much like directing. You do have a certain vision of what, mm. what the tone, the language is, the style of it, and the structuring. The one thing that I do the most in pre-production is structuring the numbers. This is what this number is about. Because usually, on a script. Uh, in a musical, when it comes to, to the moment where people dance, where they are not words, all the writers do is dance break. And what you dance about, I mean, you know, it's in an opening like Ragtime, what, what are they going to be dancing about? This is about three tribes <laughs> confronting each other. So the idea of confrontation and all that comes from pre-production. But specific steps, unless it is done for dancers, the motion, I'd rather go to the actor director, just like a director, and say, mm. what is your character about? Where, are you an immigrant? Where are you coming from? Italy, create a history. And then what are you doing here? Are you looking for your mother with a picture? Now walk and put it in a rhythm. Just, just walk, but see me, show me how you... So it's really more like um, acting through motion, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Well, now, do you come, mm -hmm. uh, you come out of uh, a tradition, as you say, you were in Argentina and then you went to... You worked in Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, is there, uh, uh, there is a, obviously a strong tradition uh, in, in Latin America uh, that you bring with it as growing up, which perhaps does not often happen in the United States. Mm -hmm. And did that influence you a lot? Maybe, maybe, perhaps, yes. You, mm -hmm. mean, you mean about like social dancing and yeah, how, yeah, how exactly. physical we are? Sure. Yes, yes, we are. Mm -hmm. We are very extremely, you know, in ragtime, for example. Yeah. When did you come in, and what directive were you giving? In a musical comedy, there are so many creative parts in it. There's the director, the music, and 
all of that. When does a choreographer come into this? At the very beginning. I mean, in, in, the, in the real development of a musical, a choreographer is hand-to-hand -hand with a director because the choreographer is the one who is expressing when the word stops what the piece is about, and therefore it has to be a total marriage, a perfect marriage with the director. I find, as a matter of fact, I find easy, it's more work, but I find it easier to do both because one of the difficulties as a choreographer is that I have to serve the piece and the director's vision so that there is a total, there is, there is no, um, that is seamless. And sometimes it's harder to guess what is in the director's mind. I mean, there are some directors that are extremely articulate and very clear, and some that are not, and some who don't know what they want. So therefore, it is a little harder to, you know, mm -hmm. to, do, to just do choreography. But, but in a new piece, the choreographer should be from the very beginning. I mean, working with the writers, working with the director, everybody together. Mm -hmm. We can come up with an idea visually that might save four pages mm -hmm. Of which is of course writers don't like, but Gary, have you done any musical comedy at all? Uh, no, not musical comedy as such. But I mean, I was just interested in in, in what you were saying really earlier about, the, in fact, what you're doing is telling the story through how mm -hmm. the people shape themselves on stage. And I think direction is exactly the same, really. I mean, once you actually pick the cast and, and, and begin the process of rehearsal, in a sense, it's a dual process that's going on because they're beginning to tell the story to you and you're beginning to tell it back to them. And, exactly. and that's, mm -hmm. I think, how, how it evolves. What does a playwright say to a director on the first meeting? And, what? Have you ever had anyone, a playwright, say to you, tell me what my play is about so that I will know whether we're on the same wavelength? It's never been quite that formal or that mm -hmm. confrontational, <laughs> tell me what my play is about. <laughs> it's very sort of fluid. I've been, again, I've been lucky. You've been very I've lucky. I've been very lucky to work. So it's been very fluid. It's just been sort of having lunch or, uh, you can tell. I mean, if you go on a date with someone, a blind date, <laughs> you can tell if it's working or if it's not working. It's a very similar kind of, it's yeah, chemistry. Right. It's well, chemistry. You with uh, Joey, too. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's right. You have to... You have to sense whether this person wants to invest his time, talent, and energy in in this project, and and that's what's important: the sense that that there is that interest, that commitment. And uh, so I don't know that there's any formula or any, but it, it you you gradually maybe a couple of lunches or me, but it it's, it either is there and it, it works and it's lucky and it works for you or or it's not. It's by what you choose to talk about, how you choose to talk about the play, how you see the play. Actor, it may even be actors that you have in common that you see in the play. You know, uh, if I'm saying Mickey Rooney and he's saying George C. Scott, then we're not. You know, we're not in sync. You don't, you don't see the same play. Yeah. So it's 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 everything. It's everything that you use in life. We keep hearing the word in these seminars on uh, the word trust, and I guess that's part of what you're saying too. That you trust the instinct of, of the person whether the director trusting the playwright or vice versa on it. 
well, uh, Chris, you're in pre-production now, or you're just not in pre-production as such, but oh, you're going through that, uh -huh. auditions, uh -huh. and you're going, I guess, today. To look yes, late this afternoon. So maybe Tell you me. can, yeah. Uh, Tell me about yeah, well, about the auditions that. and about the relationship to the director and what uh, you're doing. Well, the director is Nicholas Martin, who uh, just did uh, You Never Can Tell at the Roundabout and has done uh, lots of plays at Williamstown. And I've heard very good things about him, but this is my first time working with him. And the play is called Betty Summer Vacation. It's at Playwrights Horizons. We're presently in auditions. And I, I very much identified with what Joe just said, particularly when you got to, if you're thinking of some of the same actors, because I sometimes do find it hard to know, in that blind date aspect of it, how to evaluate how the play will filter through the particular director. And sometimes just uh, connecting on uh, an actor or actor actress gives you great uh, sense of, oh, good. I remember actually with uh, my play Beyond Therapy, which had been done off-Broadway with Sigourney Weaver, and Sigourney wasn't available anymore when it was now being done on Broadway, and the director was John Madden. Um, and uh, he and I were talking about the play, and I said, do you know the actress Diane Wiest? And he said, oh, what a great idea. And she wasn't as, she hadn't won her two Oscars for the Woody Allen movies yet. She wasn't as famous. But uh, I felt such comfort that he had such a, you know, uh, excited response to her. So, uh, and then, uh, oh, I'm sorry, another, well, I, I once met the, the film director, Robert Altman, who was going to make a movie version of Beyond Therapy, and he did, and I think it's terrible, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> and he's a very charming person, and, so and I was so excited he wanted to do it that two things happened. One is, in his charm, in a way I didn't really get what he was going to do. Um, and then I also sort of heard what I wanted to hear, I think. And I do remember there was one moment where he did have what I thought in my gut was a truly bad idea which he told me at the first meeting, <laughs> it was that the two therapists should have their offices next to each other, which is okay. It's not in the play, but that's okay. But that they have this little alarm clock that goes off, and they suddenly run in and have sex together and then run out again. And <laughs> the, the therapists are actually meant to be opposites and hostile to one another. It, it just made no sense. And I, I said rather politely, oh, really? And, and he said, oh, don't worry, you know, we could film it so that if it didn't work, we'd just cut it out. Well, really, these are famous last words. I mean, uh, then, as soon, the minute I signed the contract, he wrote his own version, which wasn't contractually correct, but he was also the producer, and so, anyway, that was an unhappy experience. But in retrospect, I realized that I did hear that one clue and chose to not, not react to it. That's the difference between uh, theater and, and movies. And it, in, in the theater, you would not have signed the contract. In the theater, you also have the complete right. The author oh, has... Oh, yes. The difference in contract in theater different. is very significant. Yeah. Uh, that in, in theater, the tradition... The author has the and last word. Is, is that in the contract, it says that you can't... No one can change your script without your approval. Tell us about the uh, audition process. Can you tell the moment oh. the actor comes out? Does he have to read it all? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's a... Apologies to the actors present, but it is sort of true that not immediately no, but I would say in the first twelve lines you can sort of hear. It's tough. Although you know, maybe it's also my writing tends to be a little um, uh, stylized, and it might be truer in my work than in some other people's because it requires a very strange combination of 
genuine sincerity of believing what you mean. And l I remember Joe Orton, the playwright, wrote this uh, thing about acting tone where he said, please don't do an ac exaggerated acting tone. I've already exaggerated my material. Let my exaggeration stand and you find the reality underneath. And that's really true for me, too. So that, for instance, I've written a terrible macho pig of a person named Buck who comes in and just is so <coughs> sexually uh, uh, over, uh, over the top and inappropriate. But I've noticed that the part will not work at all if the actor comes in and shows us that he thinks the character is a fool. So he's actually playing I'm a fool, as opposed to the person who comes in and is just so happy to be there and is just flirting. And then let what I've written be the, the horrible part, but don't show me. So I think that's so true, actually. Uh, so much of, of the, the line between acting what the character is and acting your opinion yeah. of the character is so thin sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's not just for the actor, but for the director. Mm. as well. It's one of the hardest mm. things to get right. And I al always think, I mean, essentially, the only real way you're going to be able to apprehend an actor and, uh, and putting them together with the play is you actually see them on stage. And it doesn't matter that what you're thinking of them for is completely different to what you see. You then start to have some idea. Because what you're not, what you're not employing is a set of talents or skills. That's a given. What you're employing is a personality, an attitude, a way of moving there. And it's the engagement of that person, the whole of that person with the script and the role, which is what happens in, in the best acting. Well, now, there is a tradition, and Michael, I can talk to you about this, too, because you've gone through the auditions, and you have the play, you know, in, in rehearsal and preview. Um, did you go, first, did you go to the auditions? Yes. Because there are some directors that don't want the playwright around. And secondly, uh, there's an old tradition, as I say, that, that the actor was never to speak to the playwright. <laughs> uh, that, that the director was in the middle, and I don't know whether that was because they wanted to, hey, my part, can you give me a few more lines or something? I don't know. Do you feel that? Have you talked to the actor? Either? Anybody? Jump in. Uh, yeah, I have spoken to the actors Shocking. on occasion. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Good morning. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, the first time I had not, not getting spending, the first play I had produced many years ago, um, uh, I was not aware of the existence of this tradition and found myself talking to an actor, I thought in all innocence, until the director saw me and told me that we, we have not had any of that with, uh, with getting spending. It's a, it's a very free exchange and it works very well. But um, uh, I guess it's, it's part of the relationship. You do have to find your way. I, I think it's also in the contract that the playwright has approval of cast Plus as well. Cast. So right. it's, uh, it's another difference with the screenwriting and, and playwriting. I don't want to sound like a lawyer, but I think it's <laughs> <laughs> So I did go to the rehearsals or the auditions. And did you give and your opinion? Did you say, I don't think so? <laughs> <sighs> well, can I, maybe I can tell a story and sure. say why I've been a little reticent to do that. The first play I produced many years ago was in Chicago, and um, we had one role that we couldn't cast, and the director of the theater and the director said, we're going to take you to see a play over in another theater tonight. This play is ending this weekend. This actor is available. He's not the right age, not the right type, but he's a good actor. I went and saw the play. I thought he was terrific. I said, but he's not the right age. He's not the right... <laughs> so I didn't take John Malkovich in the play. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've, I've since then... <laughs> Defer to... <laughs> <laughs>
And before we return to these wonderful panelists, I would like to point out to you that the wing is more than they sponsor seminars and more than our famous Tony Awards, which is granted for excellence in the theater. We are an organization in whose year-round programs are dedicated to service in the theater and the community with the goal of developing new audiences. And to achieve that goal, we have created audience development programs for students like uh, Introduction to Broadway, which began seven years ago and has now enabled more than 70,000 New York City high school students to attend a Broadway show and for many of them for the very first time. And through our newest program, Theater in School, theater professionals like these in our seminars and the panels that we bring to you, they go directly into classrooms to work with and talk to students about working in the theater. In addition, we have our hospital program, which dates back to World War II and our legendary stage door canteen. Today's version of the program utilizes talent from Broadway, Off-Broadway, and the cabaret world to entertain patients in nursing homes, veterans' hospitals, children's wards, and AIDS centers. We are a year-round organization. We bring the magic of theater to those who cannot get to the theater itself. We are proud of the work we do and happy for that wonderful working relationship we have with the theatrical community. And we are grateful to everyone who makes what the American Theatre Wing does possible. And now, let's get back to our seminars on the playwright, director, and choreographer. I want to know what it is, George, that makes a playwright. There was a wonderful critic uh, uh, who used to work with us, Edith Oliver, the New Yorker, who would say to a, a playwright, okay, once upon a time, what? <laughs> um, and that's, to me, what makes a, a playwright, is, uh, is to tell a story and, have, and in doing so, having something to say when they say it, when they do it. And something has to touch me. Something somewhere within that has to be a universal uh, meaning, a truth that I can connect to. And it can be a story about outer space, or it could be a story about gorillas. It, it doesn't matter what the subject is. But somewhere in there, I have to have a little feeling that I, I felt, you know, some emotional connection to it. Mm. I wanted uh, to know, can you really teach playwriting? And I want to say that about mm. directing, too. Can, is, is it such a thing, or, is it, or, or, are you, or do you, as a teacher, shape what is already there? I think the latter, because I, I, I went to Yale School of Drama and found it very valuable. I went, you know, 20 years ago by now. Um, uh, but I don't feel that any of the arts can, quote, quote, be taught. But I do think it's valuable to get feedback, especially when you're in development and, frankly, later on, too. And so that that's kind of what I view teaching to be, especially in terms of uh, playwriting. It's a mentoring sort of thing. And that's the stuff I, I found useful when I was a student. You belong to the Naked Angels group, and I was wondering if you're a part of a group, if that isn't a teaching experience as well. I would say not so much Naked Angels, but for years I was a member of a company, the company, the now defunct Circle Repertory Company, mm -hmm. and that was really, really crucial in shaping, um, you know, who I am today, um, because 
sort of ties into your question. I, I was not trained as a director, per se. But the training that I got was that Tanya Berezin, once a season, would let me direct a show on the main stage. And if it failed or if I fell on my face, I, I did show the next season. And I think that's the way you can only, the, the only real way that I, uh, that you can really learn. I mean, there, there are theories, there are, there are certain tricks that you can learn, there are, you know, there's, but, but until you get in front of an audience, until you're doing it, until it becomes practical, you don't know it, you don't get it inside of you. So that was really, um, really crucial in, in, in terms of my becoming a director those years at Circle Rep. So you never studied directing at the Yale Drama School or anything? I did not. You just, you were an actor and then you evolved. I, went, I, went, I trained as an actor at the North Carolina School of the Arts. Uh-huh. I, uh, I, I did not go to drama school. I, I think the best teacher is the audience. And after we've rehearsed a play for weeks, it takes a number of performances in front of an audience. And you're always learning from the audience. I'm always learning from the audience. I've <clears throat> been rewriting things as recently as a few days ago. Uh, not major, not new scenes, but, but you can always learn from the audience. And, and that's, I think maybe teaching and, and courses can help you accelerate that process. But I, I agree with Chris. I don't think you can teach or give someone something that isn't there, but you can help. You know, let me throw in, because I agree how much you learn from the audience. I also found at drama school and at Juilliard, too, that as a writer, you learn a great deal from the actors who then present it to the yes. audience. Uh, and I, I found that w when I was at Yale, I started to value some of the feedback I got from actors a little more than some of the feedback I got from other writers. Not that the writers weren't smart, but they sometimes came so much from their own point of view that an actor usually is coming from, how can I make this piece work? Mm -hmm. And so the feedback they give you is just very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Broadway and the theater is desperate for product, but I was wondering how hospitable you felt Broadway was to receiving new may, works. Well, I may have mentioned at the beginning of this session that I haven't slept in six weeks, so that <laughs> tells you how hospitable I feel. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's a daunting process. Uh, friends ask me all the time, aren't you thrilled and delighted, and isn't it your lifelong fantasy? And I say, yes, but I'm also, uh, terror swamps everything, I think. Oh. It's, uh, and not just the terror of, of, of critics and, and being reviewed, but uh, every night there are four or five hundred critics in the audience, and, and the play has to speak to them and, and capture them, and that's a, a, a struggle, not an active, I don't sit there and do it, I just sit there and watch, it's the actors who have to do it, but it is, uh, every night it starts all over again, each performance is different, there are things one night that work completely perfectly and well, and the next night, I say, well, didn't they hear it, what, what, what happened? So it's a, uh, it's a daunting experience all around, uh, and, and then when I look back on the uh, series of chance occurrences and flukes that got me here. I, I, it's amazing to me that anything ever gets done at all. It's, it's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in constant awe of that. Can you teach choreography? Um, look, I think that one can teach. It's like life. You can um, have information. You can give information. I can give information to somebody, the formulas. Mm -hmm. There are certain formulas. But until you live, until you've experienced something, you do not know. Knowledge comes to me from just going out there and doing it, like Joe says. You know, do it, fail, succeed. Even the failure of success is relative. Mm -hmm. It's 
the doing, it's the process. That's learning. I didn't have any academic, uh, um, you know, oh. knowledge in, in choreography at all. I just learned through, as a dancer. Oh, but you with worked with Jack Cole, yeah. who, and well, what did I, you learn I, from and Michael Bennett, too? Yes, but, but that's not choreography, you see. I mean, that's, mm. that's really, uh, you know, what choreography is, uh, is a very, it's like writing. It's very close to writing. You have a piece of music, and you have an idea, and then you have to uh, paint and design and write in the space, and it's very ephemeral. So, so I would say yes, there are ways of uh, teaching the formulas. Yes, but uh, the choreographer has to go out and do it himself or herself. I think actually, a director probably uh, me as a director certainly learn more from the failures than the successes. I agree <laughs> because uh, the successes you say thank God and don't think about it. And the failures you're forced to reflect on. Exactly. <sighs> what, what is it that went wrong there? That's good to know. But the, the strange <laughs> thing about it is that you can't, when you have a failure or, or something that's, say, not successful, th there's no formula that you can't, you can't sort of avoid it. The next time you can't, mm -hmm. there's, it, it never becomes, you're never working towards a sure thing. It's always, it's constantly case to yeah. case, just so yes. different. Yeah, but, mm. you, but you, can't, you can't see, you can't see kind of a general sort of, yes. you, you are forced to think about what the process was, how it came to be what's there and that just the asking of that I think certainly it helps me sort of move on mm -hmm. but it's absolutely true you can't you, you end up on the first the first night and when you <laughs> I mean it's always the situation is you went to something there's a terrific script you've got a terrific cast everything is right and everything just sits down on the floor and dies <laughs> <laughs> you go in and you say I shouldn't be doing this I don't have the proper blah 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 and <laughs> but it's always like that I think yeah. it's, you're, you're constantly surprised in the rehearsal room the stuff that works in the rehearsal room that's just you think like I am a genius yeah. <laughs> it, gets in, it gets in front of an audience and, f and the yeah, stuff bang. that you just can't figure out and, and it gets in front of an audience and it hits the air <clears throat> and it takes off and there is that element all the time, yeah. which I think is so, it's thrilling, but it's also extremely frustrating. Nerve-wracking. Yeah. Well, there is, a, there is an old uh, English uh, teacher of writing called Sir Arthur Quiller Couch that nobody mm. reads anymore, but he, he, uh, he wrote about writing, he said, murder your darlings. Oh, when you yeah. think something oh. is so good, yeah. watch out, uh, yeah. because yeah. it's going to come up and bite you yeah. in the wrong well, way. I, you mentioned something that hadn't been said before, that they're the audience or the critics. And each night there are four or five hundred, whatever it is, of critics in the audience. And each night's reaction is different. In the early stages, which ones do you listen to? Which night, which critics do, is telling you something that will change, reinstate, or, or whatever it is as well, you as a playwright? It's a good question because we, we, we have this discussion. We say, well, is it our fault or was this just a bad audience, or was this, you know, was it their fault? Were they sleeping or whatever? Uh, we had a problem last night with the performance. One of the headsets that someone was wearing started getting the Yankee game mm. at the beginning <laughs> of the play. And, and uh, the, the, the first line in the play is calculated to, and every performance I've ever seen until last night does, get a nice laugh, and it tells the audience they can laugh. And it didn't last night, and I was, I was in the back of the balcony, and I, I, and I, didn't, I went downstairs, and they told me what had happened, and I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> I really didn't hear it. But uh, we have that discussion all the time about, you know, and how many audiences does it take to, to, to get the mm -hmm. message? Sometimes one, right away, you know it, it's not you, it's, or it's not them, it's you, and, and you change it. But it's always a delicate thing, and, and talk about uh, murdering your darlings there. Uh, that's, I know you have to, it's very difficult to do it, but you do it. 
and and you have to do it, and the the audience tells you uh, tells you when to do it, um, and it's uh, uh, it's a, a, an ongoing process of, of of learning from them. It's also interesting, I think that I mean, as an actor, I was I was in a play once that during the three weeks of previews was what we thought was a complete disaster. I mean, the audience was just bored, bored, bored. You know, a review came out in the New York Times that said. This is the most fantastic thing, and from that moment on to the end of the run, right? No, and I'm not saying I don't know if it's if it's if it's if there is such a thing as the power of the New York Times, or if it's just it it it, it freed people up to, you know, someone said it's okay to laugh or it's okay to. There is that phenomenon that happens occasionally with 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 plays. I've seen it before that that. Once people write about it, or once an opinion starts to form, even even if the an opinion is all over the map, then I think the show organically becomes whatever it's going to become. We're going to questions now, and I'm sure that there'll never be enough time to ask all the questions and to take advantage of this wonderful panel. But I'm going to try. So, would you please ask your first question? Hi, my name is Brietta, and I'm a theater student at NYU. And my question is: after the initial meeting. Um, can you describe the collaboration between the writer and the director? I'm sure it's it's different every time, uh, and even with the same writer and director would be different on different plays. But uh, once you agree and and come to terms that you you have made a mutual commitment and and you want to work and and realize this project, um, I think it becomes very important to see that you're working on the same play and that you have uh, the same vision. And I think that uh, there's a, a fair amount of, of attention and energy has to go into that process of, of uh, I have worked with directors who, it, it turns out, sometime down the road, we realize we aren't reading or seeing the same play. And, and, and so that's a, a major, uh, a major, uh, part of the process to come to terms with uh, in, in the very early days after the first meeting. So would you like to answer that too? What is the initial process? What starts? I think of it as, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of it is, is about gathering information. I, I, loved, I love to have the playwright in rehearsal. I love to spend time with the playwright. What music were you listening to when you wrote this? What, uh, are, are, is there an artist? You know, what does it look like in your head? How did you see it? I'm, not, that I'm going to, not that I'm going to try to replicate that, but any information that the writer can give me about what made them create it, why they created it, things they saw, they smelled, events. It helps me to sort of interpret through me, through me, what ultimately this is, what the evening is going to be. And you never know how that may come back right. to, to help yes. weeks yes. later. No, I was just going to say, I think it's been said earlier as well. I mean, it's sort of a human relationship like uh, many others. Some writers um, are very good friends, and, and, and the relationship goes far beyond the actual professional relations. Others are less so. But one way or the other, you are two people thrown together in the middle of a very intense process. And I mean, as you say, I remember a particular play called Whistle in the Dark, written by mm -hmm. Tom Murphy, an Irish writer. And uh, he told me, I did actually a revival of the play 20 years after it was, it was written. And he told me that when he was writing it, he was 26, and he was, he was so angry about what he was writing that he, he characterized it as the powder was coming off his teeth as he gritted mm. them together. Mm. And I have never, ever forgotten mm. that <laughs> throughout, throughout the entire course of rehearsal. I do think that one difference is that I think that the writer does need to leave the rehearsal room at a particular time. 
Um, it doesn't matter for how long, but at some point they do, because I think what can happen is that they can tend to see the play too much from the point of view of the production and to become involved in the production's problems or difficulties or whatever. And I think to be able to leave and come back, they're able in some ways to give a better judgment and in a sense to hold mm. the production accountable to what they originally wrote. Mm. And may I add something too, because I, I, I think for me it's very important, in that um, pre-production time of the work between the director and uh, the playwright, there are many things sometimes that we directors we do not agree with. I feel that it, instead of keep on fighting them, I feel it's our, as a director and a choreographer, is my duty as an interpreter, because I'm not the creator, I'm mm. the interpreter, to put it up on the feet and show it to the writer. Hopefully, the actors, when, this, you know, when, when it is fleshed out, then hopefully the, the, the writer will be able to see and understand what I've been trying to, to tell him intellectually, and I mm -hmm. have been able to show him. So I think that is something that we have to do. That is, it gets to a certain point that the writer has to be served. Mm. You know, that's my feeling. I have great humility for whoever invented that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate hearing the words, well, let's show you the scene the way you've written it. Are you feeling good on purpose? Hi, my name is Don Fabrio, and I'm also a student, uh, theater student at NYU. And my question is, is it very hard to make the transition from being a performer or an actor into being a director or a playwright? Joe, that sounds That's right. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it... Uh, it's, a, it's an easy, no, it was not. I, mean, it's a, uh, I think it's more about temperament. I mean, if you sort of have a sort of very controlling person, it's very easy to make the... No, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. how, about, uh, how about from a performer to a playwright? Or a playwright uh, to a performer? Um, Other than not sitting on the floor, not questioning sitting on the floor. <laughs> well, I remember when I was growing up, I was very impressed that Noel Coward who my mother loved his plays and I read them and I saw that he, you know, had acted in many of his own plays. So I, I, I feel that there are lots of people who are drawn to theater who are drawn to all aspects of it. And I, and Harold Pinter also started as a, an actor. Um, I, uh, I think that being an actor inside a play uh, can teach you good things uh, about writing as well. And I know, again, when I was at Yale, uh, I, to my surprise, I ended up doing acting because uh, I was in the playwriting department. And sometimes I was in my own plays, but uh, sometimes I was in other people's plays. And being in with the other actors struggling how to make it work from moment to moment taught me a great deal. So I think it can be useful and, and not hard, actually. Thank you. Hi, my name is Vicki Bennett, and my question is basically for Gary Hines and Joe Mantello. Uh, Actors are very vulnerable when they're working on a piece and they need to feel safe while they're working. How do you create that trust with your acting company? I think uh, it's not something I would think of specifically, how do I do that or how will I do that, but I think it's to do what, what I want for myself because as a director I'm vulnerable too in a sense and that is to create a rehearsal room which is a place where people can relax um, and can work and can talk about things that are difficult and do things that are difficult. Um, so it's very much about, very much for me about the rehearsal room and the set of relationships and the warmth. I mean, if I'm not having fun in a rehearsal room, there's something terribly wrong. 
and I can't really function. And I sort of think, uh, I think that goes for everybody else as well. So it starts in there and continues in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, once again, I find myself saying there's not enough time. And there never is, but uh, for I am indeed grateful for the time that we have to be able to have the talent that we have on this panel today. And uh, it's the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre that are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Today's panel, the seminar, has been on the playwright, director, and choreographer. And I think it tells the whole story of theatre because you have the word and then you have the people that made it work and that brings us all to the theatre that makes the theatre so alive and that there is nothing else like it but live theatre. And so from someone who adores the theatre, thank you so very, very much for being here.